In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, and please be seated. You know, it's wonderful looking out here, and from a relative standpoint, we're bursting at the seams today. So I thank everybody for getting up and braving the August humidity and coming out, and I pray that you're blessed and special welcome to those who might be visiting today. If you were blessed to have grown up in a Christian family, Christian household, it's likely that you became acquainted to the Ark of Scripture through simple stories. Uh, you don't give a uh, you, you don't give a five-year-old a, a big weighty King James and say digest it. You know it's. It's the old adage about eating an elephant. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And that's how we learn the Bible and the stories of the Bible in, in little stories. And one such story was the one where Jesus, after seeing the temple turned into a religious marketplace, uh, it is the, probably the only time in Scripture in the Gospels, where you're going to see Jesus blowing his stack, Take, taking a threefold cord, fashioned a horse whip. He drove the merchants and the money changers and the thieves far from the temple. And it was at that point where he declared that my father's house, it will be a house of prayer. And you're turning it into a den of thieves. Up and... This morning's message that we're going to consider out of Isaiah, uh, this passage records the moment where through the prophetic voice that the Lord declared this to, to be so, that his house was going to be a house of prayer and a house of prayer for all nations. Uh, we'll see this too, that this was a universal declaration made to those who were children of the covenant. It was made to those who were aliens who were outside of the covenant, and even to those who by circumstance found themselves excluded by the covenant. So let's consider, invite you to turn, if you have it, to Isaiah chapter 56, where we see in verse 1 and 2, thus saith the Lord, keep justice, do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing, doing evil. Uh, Isaiah's, considering Isaiah's prophecy as a whole, uh, one of the ways it seemed to jump out at me is just as an individual symphony, symphony might be made of multiple movements that differ from the, the movement it followed, we see that in a sense, Isaiah can be, be seen almost as a symphony in, in three movements, uh, where, where each movement changes almost dramatically at times from, from the previous area. And this is one of those here that we see, because here at beginning in chapter 56, uh, the focus becomes... A forward focus, looking, looking into the future. And we observe this uh, in this thematic turn. In this view, uh, we, see a mo we see a moment where Jew and Gentile are going to be re a light, 
unite it rather in, in one joyous family. Verses 1 and 2, Isaiah speaks first to Israel in the words of the prophecy, which are given in a twofold mandate. Pursue both justice and righteousness. A command to both do and to act. 2020 is a time where we have probably heard the word justice thrown around more uh, than we have at any other time in our life. Uh, the word justice is not far from our hearts and conversations. And I would venture to guess that it pops up several times a day in, in all types of, of conversations. Uh, yet the context and or meaning of this can by, be divergently different and varying depending on who the communicators are and who the intended audience is of the communicator. Uh, some would consider justice to be a form of, of judicial vengeance. Uh, others might see it as a way of, of righting wrongs or to set things in order. But for all of its contemporary conversation, rarely do we see the concepts of justice and righteousness paired together. Yet this has not always been the case. Justice and righteousness in the life of God can be viewed as fruits worthy of repentance, if you'll have it. Yet somehow in the history of the church, the two concepts in, in, in later years seem to have become decoupled from one another uh, to the point where twin concepts were viewed as almost as in, an, in terms of an either or type of thing. Uh, this is played out in religiously conservative circles where personal righteousness is taught over the former, while social justice is stressed within liberal circles above, above the other. Uh, this is a cultural fallacy because we simply cannot achieve true social justice without the pursuit of righteousness. And John Wesley bore this out when he declared that there is no personal holiness where there is no social holiness. If there is no social holiness, it's because children of God are not practicing personal holiness. Uh, and it's an interesting, interesting to note, too, that the concept of righteousness in the Hebrew understanding could be understood on both a vertical and a horizontal axis. It was understood first as one's relationship to God's covenant and how we responded to that. But it was as well, it spoke of doing good to one's neighbor, not just for doing good, but in the aim of, of leading them to a closer relationship with their God, which tells us that in a practical sense, our right, you know, we are not in the Westminster Saint show showing off our, our holiness and trying to look as polished as we and sanctified as we can. The aim of our righteousness is to bring God glory and to exhort our brothers and sisters around us. Uh, so, you know, in the word, if, if the words of the pro, but if the words of this prophecy have a familiar ring to it, uh, it's because they do. Uh, Isaiah through the prophetic voice, was speaking about the return of, of Christ and when Christ returns. 
which was echoed, uh, echoed about a millennia later through the words of John where he said, Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. But lastly, within this exhortation, uh, there is the child of God, the child of the covenant, is expected to keep the intimacy of the Sabbath where, where they are called to rest in God. To cheat oneself of, of quiet time in the presence of the Almighty was a profaning act that made the Sabbath day just another day in the calendar. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever been snubbed uh, where you give somebody an invitation, you're, you're putting out a nice spread uh, maybe you, you have the, your best cheese, your best crackers, your best Cabernet. <laughs> and somebody just decides, oh, too busy. And not even an acknowledgement. You know, that's, that's, kind of a, that's it's kind of a poke in the eye when they do that. But consider from God's standpoint, God who set the entire world, the entire cosmos into motion said, you know what? I'm setting aside one day. I'm setting aside one day, and I, I'd like you just draw near to me. In, in military parlance, you know, you've heard Marines say, take your pack off. God was calling his people to take your pack off and just draw near to me. But yet, when they ignored this, when, when they disregarded that, that, that invitation, it was a real affront to God. In fact, as we read the closing words of, of, of the Chronicles, we see that, that disregarding the Sabbath was such a big deal to God that the amount of time of the exile was based on the, in, in a sense, on the amount of Sabbaths that, that Israel went poo-poo to and, and, dis, and didn't, uh, didn't do that. So we, we see that, that... It was, a day, it was an affront. Now, sadly, in our contemporary culture, we have largely lost sight of the Sabbath and its purpose. It wasn't all that long ago, though, uh, and it was within my lifetime. I remember Sunday, the cultural scene, culture seemed to downshift just a little bit. Uh, it was a day that you, did, you weren't compelled to run out the coals and see what kind of val- sale you can get. You can do that on the other six days. Uh, it was a day that only essential services were open. In Pennsylvania, you, 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 could, get, you, you could get your gas, you could go to Wawa, get your cup of coffee, your, your Sunday bulletin. But that's pretty much it. It was just a day to, to cool your heels. But like I said, but tragically too, like so many, so many things in, within our culture, this, this culture of, of disregarding the Sabbath has, has sadly leached into the life of the church. Uh, and you know what? Uh, if, if, I'm, if I'm pointing one finger, trust me, I've got three others pointing right back at me. So I'm not, po- uh, not pointing fingers. But I can say as I include myself, I have to say, brothers, this ought not to be. And I, I'm not talking about Sabbath from a, a legalistic standpoint. Uh, I'm talking Sabbath from a standpoint of may God lead us in, in recapturing the quiet intimacy 
Sabbath rest. Take a nap in the presence of the Lord. Relax. It'll keep. But we see as, as well, as, as Isaiah continues reading through verses 3 through 7, that this is a call not only to those within the covenant, but it was a call to those who are outside the covenant as well. We see in verse 3, he says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbaths, who cho- choose the things that are, please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name that's greater, better than the sons and daughters. I will give him an everlasting name and he shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister him, to love the name of the Lord and all his, be with his servants, everyone who keeps this Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer to all peoples. The prophet turns to, uh, turns to prophesy to those who are not part of Israel's covenant. Uh, the ones that he formerly spoke to were, were the offspring and the descendants of those who were at the base of, of Mount Sinai. The ones whose ancestors said yes and amen to, to, the, to the command of God. He's now speaking to people who have no genetic, no historical connection to that. People that are outside. Uh, outside of the community, either by the fact of their birth or by their circumstance. The Lord now speaks to the foreigner and the eunuch. While Jewish culture paid a type of lip service hospitality to the foreigners who sojourned uh, in their land, it did keep them practically at an arm's reach. An observant Jew would not sit down, uh, you know, while he may not run a foreigner out of town on a rail, he's not going to sit down with them and and eat either. And really, at arm's length, they never truly welcomed them. Perhaps one of the strongest indications and examples of this is if we look at the uh, we we look at the the temple itself. You know, as as we look and and as the the temple is is described, uh, we see various precincts and and areas in that. Uh, One of the areas in in a temple was a court intentionally set aside known as the court of the Gentiles. Uh, You know, there was a time in this church where that was kind of thrown about kind of casually until you stop and think, you know, uh, the court of the Gentiles is not about inclusion. It's about exclusion. And what happens, uh, and they they were so serious about this exclusionary boundary that as time progressed and, and as Herod's temple was built and archaeological digs were performed in, in that area, uh, archaeologists found a sign written in, in multiple languages 
that I'm, I'm going to paraphrase what the sign said. It basically, the sign said, if you can read this, if you pass, you know, you pass this point line in the sand, your blood is on your own head. Uh, it was clearly demarcated, and it warned the Gentiles, you, you do not go here under pain of death. But grim as the prospects might be for the, for the foreigner, they were infinitely worse for the eunuch. We consider the life of the eunuch was tragic on multiple levels. Uh, in the fact that they endured grievous physical trauma and an ensuing emotional trauma. And by Levitical law, he was barred from the assembly of, of, of God. Deuteronomy 23, one tells us clearly that no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. I don't know how much plainer uh, that that warning can be. But all this, all this would change according to this prophecy. That all who call upon and follow the Lord would be received into a great house of God where they can dwell as sons and daughters together. The alienation of the foreigner and the shame of the eunuch would be washed away completely. And now today, because we have the benefit of the full revelation of the word of God, we can see where these, where, where these prophecies were, were realized in, in, in the book of Acts. Where we see that, you know, on, in that second chapter of, of Acts, following the day of Pentecost, where Jews and Gentiles alike heard the words of God through, through, through their own language as it was spoken by, by the disciples. And we see the thousands that were at it. Uh, we, we see that that, that was, a number, was a number that grew and continued to grow. Then on a dusty road in Gaza, divine appointment was kept, uh, allowing a eunuch to receive not only Christ, but holy baptism and to be brought in. And when we consider, far from being a dry tree, uh, you consider that on the eastern part of the continent, Ethiopia is probably the most Christian nation. And I would, I would venture to guess it's probably only second to Nigeria where, where Christianity is thriving. And far from being a dry, dry tree... This Chamberlain of Queen Candace, in a sense, became the spiritual father to untold millions. Now, as we conclude our thoughts this morning, I'd like you to consider something for a moment. Uh, we, we look at the, we look at the, the estate of, of the alien, look at the estate of the eunuch, and. I'd like us to consider for a moment that our own personal estates were not much different than the estate of these two groups that were, were spoke of. We too were once in the sad state of, of that alien and the eunuch. We were estranged and cut off from the promises of God. But yet on the cross, Christ destroyed this barrier, as St. Paul declared 
in, in his letter to the Ephesians, remember that you were at what that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now Christ, through Christ Jesus, but in Christ Jesus, rather, you who were once far off. Let me read that again. But now in Christ Jesus, we who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. As, as we close our, our thoughts, uh, I, I'd ask you to consider uh, just how God moved the cosmos in such a way that we who were estranged through Adam might be rejoined and regrafted in through Christ, the second Adam. And I would invite you this week, uh, consider, consider where you are in that relationship. Uh, ask if, if you're feeling a tug, ask God to, to lead you in, in the direction that he would, he would have you go in the midst of this. That we too might ultimately be part of that holy house of prayer for all nations. You know, we, we have that out there on our sign, uh, which is great, and it's, it is an aspirational goal. Let us personally live that out in our daily lives. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that all through Scripture, whether Old Testament New Testament, uh, the trajectory of, of your, your word through your Holy Spirit was to point us towards Jesus and lead us back to the lover of our souls. Not only let us uh, appropriate this for our own life, but Lord, let us be transmitters of this message to the world around us. Let us, as St. As Francis prayed, be channels of your peace. Let us be communicators of good news, especially in a day where good news is at such a premium. This we ask in the mighty name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.